Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. And I'm Joe Rowles. So, I don't know if you noticed, Jeff, but the Broncos lost to the Titans last Monday. Yeah, yeah thanks for the reminder. <laughs> so, uh, let's fire everybody. Yeah, let's do it. Fire Fangio. Hashtag Fire Fangio. The, the only solution is firing everybody. Just fire everybody. That, that'll fix it. But, but no, uh, so... Let, let's let's take a look at some of the questions, some of the themes from Monday and kind of see if any of it's kind of an overreaction or if it's totally warranted. Yeah, and this is our first kind of – we were just talking before we turned on the podcast. This is our first game breakdown since we've started this podcast. We started it this offseason, and this is why we started this, so that we could like – to really dig in, break down the film every week. And so I'm super stoked about this, even though we had some NFL game pass troubles and didn't get the the game tape until later. So the podcast will be a little bit posted a little bit later in the week, but um, hopefully next week we'll get it quicker and be able to, to knock out the, the film review for everyone. So thanks for hanging with us and really appreciate everyone listening. And hit us up with questions throughout the week and throughout the game of things that you want us to look at as we dig into the film. Obviously, we 
follow stuff on Twitter and see what people are asking and things like that. But um, if there's anything specific, feel free to leave us a comment on Mile High Report or hit us up on Twitter at Jeff Essery or at Jeffrey Essery, at Joe Rowe underscore NFL or at Cover 2 Broncos. And we'll try to take a look at that um, when we review the film. With that, I, what do you think? I, do you want to dig in? I'll actually have a really good question from somebody about something from the game when we get a little bit farther in, I think. Ooh, surprise. Uh, okay. Yeah. I just, I, you just reminded this me. Isn't, this isn't uh, in the show notes. What are you, you're going to, you're going to ambush me. That's good. It'll, and it actually, and I, and I, I defer to you on coverage stuff quite a bit. Cause I know you, you've studied coverages more than I have. So this is a good one. It's a coverage question. So, uh, right. but so do you want me to throw it at you first or do you want me to throw it at you as we kind of go it. along? Let's do it. I'm curious okay. now. So, so th- I got this in a message at two, uh, two fifty-seven in the morning and I woke up to it and I didn't answer it very well cause I saw it and then I forgot about it. But so I need to ask someone who knows a lot more than I do about football. Does it make sense to play in zone coverage when the opposing team is on a two minute drive to score a field goal? I'm thinking about if it's getting worse playing zone in today's NFL. The quarterbacks are getting really good at playing against zone. And if our defensive strategy is just to let them dink and dunk but not score a touchdown, that seems really problematic against an opposing team's two-minute drive when they're only down one or two. What do you think? That's a tough one because it depends on the types of like the type of zone, right? So it's not just zone or man. I mean, there's myriad of stuff underneath that. I mean, I do think like Fangio's kind of overarching the theory on defense from a coverage perspective is to play back, let the play happen in front of you and rally to the ball um, and not to give up big plays. And aside from a lot of the crossing route stuff, Denver really didn't give up any big plays last um, on Monday. And so that's your first thing. When you got a two minute drive, you're not wanting to give up a big play. So you want to keep everything in front of you from that perspective. So whether you're playing man or zone, I think you probably want to keep two high safeties in order to keep stuff so you're not letting anything get behind you because that's the worst is I would rather them dink and dunk down the field and make them earn it because they're having to use timeouts, they're having to go hurry up, all of that stuff, as opposed to being able to get it all in one big chunk play. So I don't necessarily think you just, you know, completely rule out one particular coverage or say I'm never playing zone or anything like that. Um, and particularly this, the type of coverage that Fangio plays, which is like a kind of a match quarters um coverage it's not it's not the worst in that type of situation i do think that they did play a little bit out of it when i was reviewing the that particular drive they were playing a little bit too soft um i think obviously just trying to keep things in front of them and then at that point they were tired and so um i do think maybe there is something to changing your coverages up in that two minute um drive to man or something like that, just so you can be a little bit tighter. Um, And so the other thing is when you're in the hurry up, the offense usually knows what they're going to get from you. Like everybody, everybody's not, you're not mixing things up. You're not disguising anything. And so that's where I think Fangio gets into some trouble, like his defenses. And we saw a little bit last year when you're not able to disguise as much, or you don't have as much time to rotate the safeties and do all the kind of cool stuff that he sometimes does. And people know how you're going to play certain concepts. People know what they're going to get from you. And so they're able to just, you know, churn those quick passes out. I think that's what we see in those two minute drives. 
And so in that instance, I, I, I do think switching to man wouldn't be the worst idea because like, then you go back to the Wade Phillips kind of strategy of everybody knows what they're going to play. They just can't stop it. Or you're just good enough to, to just keep playing it. And so in that instance, like the offense knows you're going to just continue to line up in man if they're in a hurry up and all of that, but it's just harder to stop. And so, um, but at that point you've got to have the kind of the corners and the coverage guys to, to make that happen. And so with an OJ Moody and a St. Bassey and rookies, I don't know that you throw them out there in the fire in a two minute drill playing man, because you'll probably just get picked on. So there's a long winded response to it, but I don't think it is just a, I don't think there's a just easy blanket answer to it, but I do think the predictability piece is what kills Denver at times. People know exactly what they're going to get. They can play hurry up and you kind of have to play that same, you know, play your same look and not change it up a lot. And so they're able to exploit the weaknesses in there. Devil's advocate, if they would have played man and Michael Ojemude would have got beaten over the top for an 80-yard touchdown, we wouldn't be talking about Vic Fangio's clock management. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. And that's the real, that, you know, that you run that risk when you, if you decide to play man, and particularly if you're, if you're pressing up or you're just playing, cover one or something. It's not like you can't get burned deep in cover two, but um, if you're just playing with a single high safety and they beat you on a double move or something like that, then you're really screwed. And so I think the, the theory is sound of making them work their way down the field. I just think you need to execute it better. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that's just the fact that Denver was down to two rookie corners. Yeah. So. And the Titans, I mean, we'll get into this as we dig in. This is a good segue, I think, to jump in. The Titans are a good offense, even though they're not um, like they're not what you think of when you think of like a this light the world on fire offense. But like, they've got a good. They're they're well coached. They brought back a lot of continuity with Ryan Tannehill um, and Derrick Henry, and they've got a strong running game. The offensive line played really well on Monday night, and so. They're a, they're a pretty good offense, so to be able to hold them to what Denver did, of course, they got a lot of help from the field goal misses. Um, but it, I was thinking about this though, as I rewatched the tape today. For all the help that Denver got in terms of the field goal misses, they also got really hurt by a couple like really big snafus. So like the defense, I don't think the defense was as bad as like all the misses kind of leads you to believe because the Titans got a lot of opportunities in part because the Melvin Gordon fumble, because of the drops by Jerry Judy because of stuff like that. Like, so, and again, like it's the whole team, like it's a, a team wide, like there was mistakes, but I thought the defense, like the Melvin Gordon fumble put Denver, like the defense was having to defend a short field right away. And I thought they did okay with it. Um, it's just, you give, you give Tennessee enough chances at the, at getting there, they're going to get some points sometime. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate that the defense is probably unless, I mean, hopefully AJ Boye comes back healthy, but, when Von Miller went down, it's kind of like we're mm-hmm. almost jumping into what we experienced last year where it's like you're, you're suboptimal on defense from a talent perspective. Like when Chubb went down, you don't have your extra pass rusher. You're but, missing corners because um, Bryce Callahan was down. And so Denver's really – they're in. That, if you think about it, they're also in the exact same spot. I and mean, the, the players are different. I think they have gotten more talented because they brought in some rookies who actually look like they can play. But – Last year, you had uh, your top one of your top pass rushers go down, so you're losing an edge rusher. You're working in backups in the edge rushers. 
And then you lost a cornerback in Bryce Callahan, who you expected to start. And so Denver's done the exact same thing this year. They lost Vaughn Miller um, and they lost AJ Boyer in the game. And so now you're down two of the most important positions in the passing, defending the passing game. You're down a starter in each. And that's not the end of the world, but we'll probably be adding that caveat for most of the season, unfortunately, until maybe AJ Boyer comes back. Um, that this just isn't this isn't the defense that we were expecting to see, and they're going to have some struggles. Not saying they can't be good, but they're they're not they're probably not on their way to a top five defense like we were expecting to see from them. It lowers the ceiling for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely lowers the ceiling. Uh, and I mean, you saw it, you, you could see it on Monday. Uh, I mean, the the Titans' right tackle was not very good. And the Broncos got some wins there, but they had to kind of scheme wins. And they had like, – there was a couple of plays where Jeremiah Itachi definitely played well, but a lot of it was stunts, and there was a little bit of blitzing. There was some overloads drawing attention. Draymond Jones got a one-on-one matchup because Fangio dialed it up for him. And again, kudos to Draymond Jones for taking advantage of it, but Fangio has to do the work to help his players win now. It's not just Vaughn Miller is just going to terrorize people. Like that makes your job easier. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted a stat earlier this week. Alexander Johnson was block, brought on a blitz nine different times. Mm-hmm. And then Josie Jewell blitzed four different times. So you're bringing a different rusher 13 plays out of the, you know, the of the pass rushes. And one of those, I remember they dropped Malik Reed out and Josie Jewell replaced him. So it was still just a four-man rush. But they were bringing some extra heat, particularly later in the game. To, I think to try to help out some of that pass rush. So I do think you'll see them get creative with that. And Alexander, Alexander Johnson does a good job at that. So mm-hmm. that I actually liked that wrinkle that Vic Fangio brought of bringing, Alec, bringing AJ in on blitzes like that. I thought it was a good move. I do too. I think Alexander Johnson's a really, really underrated blitzer. So like using him to try and help mask the, the pass rush, I think it's a really smart idea. And he's a good player, man. Just watching the yeah. tape again, like the – He's so big. That third and one, I think it was the third and one play that um, I thought was going to seal the game if Denver was able to put something together on offense. The Titans were, um, it was in the fourth quarter, and the the Titans had that third and one, and they sneaked it with Ryan Tannehill, and we stopped them. You know, Denver stopped them, and it's like, okay, like this is, if Denver can come down and score, then the game's over, essentially. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously the offense didn't, but. Um, that was all Alexander Johnson. He completely stood up Ryan Tannehill at the point of attack, and you know, you're stopping the Titans, who are a smash mouth team. Obviously, you know it's not Derrick Henry. They decided to sneak it, but it's a smash mouth team, and Tannehill's a big guy and can run the ball, and they can't get one yard because Alexander Johnson pushed him back. So I thought I thought he had a really good game on Monday night. I did, I did too. I I was really impressed with him. Um, I was. Again, this is kind of getting away from the whole overreaction thing, but honestly, the way you and I are both talking about it, it's hard. It doesn't feel like the Broncos lost other than the fact that it feels like the Broncos lost. I know it sounds really weird, but like there were so many good things from the game when I went back over the tape. I feel really encouraged. Um, and again, the Titans were Patrick Mahomes away from playing a Super Bowl last year. Like they were up on the Chiefs. The only reason they lost is again, Patrick Mahomes is ridiculous. So like that offense is good. Like, the defense is good, and they matched up really well with the Broncos. Uh, and again, Drew Locke was in his sixth start. Jerry Judy was the number one receiver, wide receiver, and he was a rookie making his first NFL action with no preseason. So 
I, I feel really encouraged, even though I know Denver started 0-1. Uh, and, yeah, so that that's why I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of go over some of the, the themes and questions and the, I think, overreactions from the week is just because I think we need to kind of calm down as, like, a, a, a fan base a little bit. Like, when Von Miller got hurt, like we said, like, when Von Miller got hurt, it put a damper on the whole entire season because – Denver was going to have some problems on offense this season to start anyway. They were counting on the defense being so good it wasn't going to kill them. And without Vaughn, like, the defense is scrambling to make up for the fact that they lost their best player. And you add in A.J. Boye getting hurt, and now yep. you've got young guys in the in the secondary. But I think it's a, it's a good transition into like one of the things I know we wanted to talk about with some of the new guys and just you know kind of run down some of the new guys and how they played. And – Sang Bassey and um, Michael Ojemudia were top of my list of you know wanting to pay attention to since they were getting a lot of snaps and I thought they played great and Big Fangio said it too afterwards about Ojemudia after he watched the tape for a, a rookie to get thrown in there and he missed some time in camp too he was hurt yep. I remember and so it was interesting because like all the stuff through camp you know he was hurt and it just didn't seem like he was going to be working his way up the depth chart at all. And then, you know, they cut Bosby and put him on the practice squad. And all of a sudden, OJ Mudia is the guy who's your third corner, which is you know, kudos to him for jumping in as a rookie, missing time, no preseason. And he works his way into the starting lineup. And I thought he looked really good. And I mean, I'm just so happy because it – and again, we're not crowning him yet. He's um, probably going to take some, take some lumps throughout the season. But – he looks solid, and it hopefully breaks the streak of Denver just doing a terrible job drafting DBs. They haven't drafted a good starting corner really since Bradley Roby, and Bradley Roby was a first-round draft pick, so if you miss on those, I mean, you, know, you, you hope you can get a good corner in the first round, but you guys like Isaac Yadam and Brendan Langley, and um, oh, there's one more I'm sure I'm missing, but Denver just hasn't been able to pick up corners particularly in the draft and have them develop even though they've spent some high draft picks on them yeah i mean i didn't, I didn't expect michael ojimudia to play as much as he did and then he went back and looked at it. he played more than 60 percent of the snaps mm-hmm. and and even before boyer got hurt he was playing nickel set so he was playing quite a bit he was gonna play more than 50 percent of the game regardless of boyer's status yeah. so and and i i personally think he got robbed the interception uh and I, I don't really want to make – like, I, I don't know about you. I don't really want to spend, you know, every episode griping about the refs because I just don't I, – I think it's too easy to do. But I do think, yeah, he definitely should have had that interception. And so, like, in my mind, he had a really, really, really good first game. Because, um, again, that pick was was legit. Yeah. So. And I, th- I think the big theme with he and uh, saying Bassey as well, and Bassey's a small guy too, but both of them can tackle. I tweeted that mm-hmm. out during the game that, you know, that's one of the – things with Vic Fangio is he requires his corners to tackle and you see why because they're you know they're not playing man as much so they're responsible sometimes as the force guy out in zone um, and they have to come up and make the stop in the run game and St. Bassey I think he took on Derrick Henry one-on-one and tackled I mean yeah I think he got kind of run over but he tackled him <laughs> and um, 
I remember OJ Moody had a really good play in the open field making um, a tackle. And so, I mean, these guys, it, it shows why they made their way into the starting lineup. They're tough. And yeah, I thought they did a really good job coming up and, and making the tackle. One of the other guys that, you know, we were had our eyes on were um, Drell Casey in his yeah. debut. He's obviously playing against his old team. What did you see from him when you went back and watched the tape? I mean, he lived up to my hopes. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't watching just him, so I'd have to go back to give you like any sort of like numbers and stuff like that. But the Broncos, it was hard to run on where Jarrell Casey and Jeremiah Tachu were. Um, I thought that that side of the line, whenever those two were together, it was a lot harder to move them. Uh, and that's something I'm kind of looking forward to going forward because it seemed like that was the stronger side in terms of run defense. Those two were really, really stout. And then uh, the way Fangio – Fangio actually did use Jarrell Casey as a stand-up rusher uh, on that passing down. Uh, I, I shared it on Twitter, but they came out in a 3-2-6 set, and uh, Casey was standing up as the lone interior defensive lineman. And he did the same kind of stuff that the Titans used him for. Like, he, he stood up right across from the center, and he, he ended up slanting into the A-gap, occupying the center, and ended up helping, again, create that pressure for Dr Draymond Jones. So I, I thought he was good. I was really happy with him. Yeah, I remember tagging you during the game um, when he ran a stunt with Itachu as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was earlier in the game and, because that's the kind of stuff that, that those looping um, stunts that we were hoping to see him do with Vaughn Miller, but um, we saw him do in Tennessee. I thought he played well. I was a little bit – I wanted to see a little bit more in the passing game from him, even though he did get his hands up and kind of get in the rushing line or in the passing line a couple times. And Shelby Harris obviously does that really well too, but I agree with you. I think he played well in the run game and will continue to play well. And he was the number one defensive lineman out there. So from a snap count perspective, he had seventy percent of the snaps. And I thought Fangio did a good job because we do they they do have a really um, deep defensive line, and so you had Draymond Jones getting 46-ish percent of the snaps. Darrell Casey got 70, and then Shelby Harris and Mike Purcell both got 55, or 50s. Shelby Harris got 55, and Purcell got 50%. And then Marcus Walker got about 20% of the snaps. So you had a pretty healthy rotation there on the defensive line, which I think is a good thing. But you still had, you know, we're able to squeeze 70% of the snaps out of Casey, and I would expect that going forward is you're rotating all the other guys more than you're rotating Casey because you want him in there as much as possible. Mm -hmm. In talking with the defensive line, I do expect McTelvin Ajim to to eventually kind of eat into Demarcus Walker's snap count, just because what I saw from Walker, Walker got pushed around a decent bit in the run game. Again, that's not a surprise if if again if you've been listening to us, that's been a thing for him. Uh, he's an okay pass rusher, but in terms of run defense, he's just kind of like a notch below the rest of the defensive line. Um, and again, who knows? But I, I do think eventually he is going to lose that playing time. So we'll see. I, I was kind of surprised to see him activated for the Same. Titans game because Denver played in base more than I expect. Well, not more than I expected them to because I expected them to stay in base with the Titans, but more than you'll probably see them against other teams. They were in base more yeah. often. And I think a guy like a game would have been a better fit against Derrick Henry in the Titans run game than Demarcus Walker. Like if there's any game where Demarcus Walker would take the would swap out with a game of being inactive, to, to me this would be the game where he would do it. But again, he's a rookie, and maybe they thought he needed a little bit more time. But 
on on that note, I do think Draymond Jones played pretty well from a run defense standpoint. I mean, he has good chops in the – he's working on his chops in the pass rush game. But I was really interested in seeing how he played from a run defense perspective to see how much time he can really spend out there in the defensive end slot. And obviously, Shelby Harris is going to be stronger in that regard. But I thought Draymond Jones did a really good job. There was one play. I, I noticed it on the broadcast tape and was able to go back and, and see it where he really stood up a double team. I forget if it was in the second or first half. But um, I thought he held up well against the double teams. Um, I mean, obviously the Titans got a little bit. Like, they, the Titans' offensive line was really good, and they were able to get some running room for Derrick Henry a couple times. I do think an interesting wrinkle that I tweeted about during the game, and we've talked about Joe, is Draymond Jones playing on the edge. They started him out on the edge in a couple sub-packages, and he had a couple really good rushes. He did have that untimely offsides penalty, and after that they kind of stopped playing him as much on the edge. But I think that would be an interesting mix because you have guys like Malik Reed and Jeremy Atachu who are really your only two additional pass rushers on the other side. And so Draymond Jones on the edge kind of gives you twofold. It, it protects you, gives you a little bit of additional beef in a sub package if teams are wanting to run with him on the edge. But then also he's pretty good. He was a pretty good pass rusher in that regard. Um, I did notice in that the two minute drive, Draymond Jones got he lost contain on the outside and that's where Derrick Henry was able to bust that big 13 yard run that kind of sealed the deal when Fangio wasn't using his timeouts kind of sealed the deal. I thought Draymond Jones. So he was on the edge for that play and I thought he got way too burst upfield way too early and didn't play sound against the you know, holding his edge. And so um, Henry was able to get outside underneath him. But other than that and the offsides, I thought he played a, had a good game throughout the entire game. Yeah, I was impressed with him. Uh, one thing I want to look for going forward is how he handles against power schemes because if, if the the Titans tried to run a down block kick out at him at one point and they, they washed him, but everybody else kind of like played around it and I thought they did a really good job. Um, and again, he's undersized for somebody. If you're going to send 600 pounds at him, that's going to be an issue. But I, I would like to see him get better at kind of like squaring up and grounding and just taking that on. Um, and that's something that I think he could improve on over the course of the season, especially working with Casey because Casey does that really well. Um, I, I, I was encouraged. I, I'm really excited to see where Draymond Jones kind of grows from here. Um, and I think he's going to be a big player for the Broncos. Yeah, agreed. We've talked a lot of defense. Let's flip over to the offensive side of who you saw. And I know you really liked Melvin Gordon and how he looked, <laughs> which – like if you if you guys have listened to this show and heard Joe, I'm not going to say the word, but complain about Melvin Gordon's I contract. I have. I've I've complained about Melvin Gordon a ton, and and, and again, and I'm not taking any of that back because I I do still think a lot of that is true. That said, watching the watching the game, Melvin Gordon was really good. Um, he fit the scheme. The way Shermer used him was really ideal. I thought he was pretty damn good in uh, pass protection. He had a couple tough plays, but I mean, you're not going to win every play in pass protection as a back. It's just that's what they do. They they're scheming up ways to isolate you and attack you. And for how much the Titans tried to do it, I thought Gordon did a really really good job of it. Um, and I think this week with the Steelers, he's going to be an in integral part of keeping Drew Locke upright. So I, I think he's I, I think he's up to it. I hope he's up to it. But I'm encouraged from what I've seen so far. 
he ran a lot faster than I've seen him run yeah. too. It seemed like I don't know if he dropped weight in the off season or he's just you know fully healthy and feeling good. But at times against the Chargers, he would look he looked a little slow. Um, you know, obviously he's a bigger guy and he's the he's kind of a downhill back. But I thought he had some really good wiggle, particularly on that big play, the twenty five yarder, where he juked out the safety in the open field and some most of that play that he had, he got some good blocks from Glasgow and Cushenberry who were peeling out in front of him. But most of that was, was Melvin Gordon setting that up. And so I remember on the linebacker, the linebacker was coming in and Gordon was able to, he essentially did a little um, stutter step behind the line and sent the linebacker into the wrong gap. And I was even linebacker read it wrong in terms of his fit, but it opened the hole up for Gordon. And so he kind of opened his own hole up and then went and busted the big play and then was able to juke a guy out in the open field. So he owned as much of that big play as the offensive line did, in my opinion. I, I knew his vision was good, but I, that's, I think that's the thing that surprised me most is just how good his vision looked in that game. He did a really good job maximizing his blockers. It'll be interesting to see the split with Lindsey. Obviously, Lindsey got hurt, but I thought he looked pretty good, and I liked how Shermer used him on that um, arrow route down by the down by the goal line that time. Oh, the, the, pon- the pony personnel. That's another yeah. thing I, I, I would say I'm wrong on so far is I was really critical of all the talk about by Pat Shermer that he was going to use both Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsey at the same time. And again, Lindsey got hurt, so we didn't get to see probably more of it. Um, I would expect I, – I would – I would assume that there was more pat place as part of the package for the Titans that they just didn't get to use because Lindsay got hurt. But what we did see, I thought was really good. It was creative. It maximized like how you could use their skill sets. And honestly, I thought Philip Lindsay did more as a route runner than I expected. Like we haven't seen him do that. Like last mm-hmm. year, he wasn't really running those kind of routes. Uh, I'm ex- I'm excited to see once he gets back or if he gets, you know, once he's healthy enough that they feel comfortable doing it. I, I-, I want to see more of it for sure. Yeah, I think he opens things up more over the middle of the field too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was just thinking about this, and this this may get us a little bit off topic, but it just kind of hit me, is with the weapons Denver has right now, with the way they use Philip Lindsay in the game, Noah Fant and Jerry Judy, I think they've got some really good pieces for attacking the inside of the defense. I think where they struggled was really on the outside. And I mean, the massive hole that Cortland Sutton left, and obviously you knew they would struggle without Cortland Sutton. But I think the outside inside, there's something there because Jerry Judy, like most of his routes that he was winning on, they were sending him on in-breaking routes. And he was running in the slot most of the time. And they took some shots on the outside trying to get you know Hamilton on a wheel. They did an out and up with Hamilton, tried to get Patrick out there one time. And... Um, Try to get Judy out there one time too, but there was just not that presence on the outside. I, just, I mean, Tim Patrick is okay, but he just doesn't provide that, and Judy wasn't providing that on the outside either. So, Cortland, I think that'll really help open up the offense because they were having better success over the middle of the field with Noah Fant and the things that they were doing there. And then I loved what they did with Jerry Judy and some of the. It was almost RPO style. I don't know if it was actually reading it, but. It was quick play action. It was getting it into Judy's hands over the middle. And he was just killing guys in the slot, you know, on the inside, on those inside breaking routes. His release on those routes are so good. 
And so if you can balance it out with the outside play of Sutton, to me, the offense is going to look a lot better once he gets back in line. Well, and the other thing is the Titans actually have a pretty good secondary. And I think that the Titans secondary matches up pretty well with the Broncos receivers minus Sutton. Uh, and that's something I'm, I'm kind of keen to see this week because the Steelers are built front to back. Um, they have an okay secondary, obviously they make a Fitzpatrick, but their corners are okay. Um, like they're good ish. Um, they, they probably match up well enough. Again, if Sutton's not playing, it could be problematic, but I think if Sutton's back, like Denver's definitely going to be able to open up some of that outside game for sure. Um, cause I think Locke will just throw it up and give him chances. And I think Sutton's he's going to come down with some of those. Yeah. And I think that'll be the thing to watch is, you know, obviously Sutton's a massive talent and he's a massive target share, but I think the inside out piece of the balance that you are able to have on offense yeah. when Sutton's What's back that? in there, because Judy to me is your inside guy at this point, at least right now, they haven't, they haven't seen, we didn't see him a ton on the outside and he just, he's so good on the inside. Um, Outside of if he can clean up those drops, every one of his plays, I think they ran a swing pass to him or something that didn't work. But everything else was he was getting open. He was making plays. He looked great after the catch. And most of it was over the middle on those just quick, whether it was a quick slant or the kind of that you know, the quick play action or it's kind of him working the scene. I thought he did a great job inside and want to see more of that because that to me is what was missing from the offense last year that we thought Deshaun Hamilton would bring. And all you had was Cortland Sutton on the outside. And so yeah. they've, and, and with no fan coming on a little bit too, we haven't even talked about him a lot, but I thought he looked great and loved how Pat Shermer was using him. And I do, this gets into a narrative a little bit to your point, Joe, at the beginning of kind of um, some of that myth busting some is, I've seen Why some did criticism. Pat Shermer forget about Noah yeah. Fant? Why did he <laughs> forget some, about Noah Fant? I've seen some criticism of, you know, yeah. why did we stop targeting Noah Fant? And I think the biggest thing to understand in that one is the just the amount of plays and the amount of series that were there. Denver ran two drives, six plays in the third quarter. And so, and one of those plays for sure, Noah Fant was open over the middle and Drew Locke, I mean, he had an open blitzer. There was a blitzer that came in free. And so he checked it down. But, I mean, he had Noah Fant. You think he probably would go there because it was a third down. I think it was a third down. Um, was, uh, the, the second, are we talking about the Melvin Gordon pass? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that was second down. Still, You're right. Yeah, second and 12. Melvin Gordon ran a play right before and got stuffed. And the second play was second and 12. They dropped back. The uh, the Titans drew up an overload to the left side. They dropped their edge on the right into coverage. And uh, Noah Fant ran essentially a curl, like a button hook slash curl, like right over the middle of the field, right in front of the center. And Drew Locke just never saw him. Locke just – he looked right to Gordon with – I think it was Clowney coming in on the rush. And he threw it with uh, the like whoever the rusher was right in his face. Got it to Gordon, but it didn't go anywhere. And it set up a third down that turned into a bomb that didn't go anywhere. And that's, that was the drive. That was, Noah Fant was wide open. And I think Pat Shermer drew up a play for Noah Fant. Lock just didn't give him the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't blame, like, Shermer doesn't dictate the targets necessarily all the time. And so I don't think it's a Shermer issue that they went away from him. And some of that was dictated by the defense, too, right? So 
I don't know that the decision by Locke was that bad because the idea of like throwing into the blitz and replacing the blitz where you throw. And so he got blitz from that edge. So he threw it to Gordon, but obviously the Titans designed it that way where they had people crashing to that side, expecting him to replace the blitz with the throw. And so I think that's something that he'll learn from as he gets a little bit more um, particularly adept at pre at pre snap reads because you can mm-hmm. see the blitz coming. It just, you know, maybe he audibles out of that next time or he, he has a better plan to attack it. But Noah Fant did, did disappear from a target and production standpoint, but they didn't just stop using him. They did. I mean, they really kind of leaned on Judy a little bit more. And so if, if it weren't for the drops with Judy, we really want to be talking about them going away from Noah Fant or we, we potentially would, but it would be on the positive side of Judy really came alive in the second half. So you had Noah Fant kind of dominating in the first half. And then Judy really emerged as the top target. If he catches those two passes, that big third down over the middle, he was oh he was wide open. And the the biggest one was on the the late um, the first down on one of their last drives when they're in the on the Titan side of the fifty. I mean that would have been a big play as well. And so. You, re- you really would be talking about Judy and his production in the second half as opposed to the absence of Noah Fant. So I don't think the offense was struggling without you – know, it's not like the defense did anything to take him away or the, the offense forgot about him or anything like that. They were spreading the ball around. It's just it's just didn't play out the way that you wanted it to from an execution standpoint. So uh, kind of kind of going from there – uh, let's kind of move to some of the other kind of like the big things I've heard in the kind of the, the fallout of the game and then the, the kind of the day since. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard that Justin Simmons sucks now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. What do you think? Did Justin Simmons suck? Like, did I have bad? I haven't heard that, but he did have a bad game. So I don't know if he. you can say he sucks now, but he had a bad game. Um, I've, I've, heard, I've heard people, like people in my timeline, basically tell me how he's overrated. So... Uh, I had a couple of people tell me that he's been worried too much about politics and now he's not playing a football. I've heard, I've heard all of it. I've heard. Yeah. So t- tell me you focused on Simmons when you were watching the tape. So tell me about his bad game. Yeah. You can hear, you hear all kinds of garbage on Twitter too. So that's the, <laughs> that, just to that narrative. But um, no, I mean, I thought he had a bad game. He, Obviously, the big one everybody's going to look at is the touchdown, and that was just a miscommunication between he and Jackson, clearly. He thought Jackson was going to take the guy because he he started it. So they ran a corner 
and they came under it was a, it's a classic play you know underneath um the high low essentially they ran a tight end underneath kind of in the flat at the goal line and then they had a corner route coming off the play action as well and so they put uh kareem jackson in conflict where he either had to take the flat if you don't take the flat the guy walks in for an easy touchdown and jackson thought he had help over the top and so he comes underneath and takes the flat and then the corner routes wide open simmons should have carried it now i mean you still probably score just based on the leverage that he had it was just a good play that was drawn up um but you know simmons maybe challenges it more and is able to get his hands in there or something like that but he thought jackson was taking it and in reality i mean there was nobody simmons was covering that he he could have covered and so that's a miss by him you know he'll learn from that i'm sure and the rest of it i think was it was more of a scheme issue so simmons struggled because the entire defense struggled the defense was attacking them kind of in his area, not picking on him necessarily, but, and we'll get into the, this kind of gets us into the next big piece that I saw that I'll be writing about this week is the Denver's struggles with defending the deep over route and the crossing routes really popped up big again. And the Titans are a team that can exploit it really well because they have a good play action game. They ran them all off of play action, but teams lit Denver up doing that last year. And that's all the Titans' big plays came off of those plays in this game. And you you were talking about this before we started recording about at one point they made an adjustment to it. Uh, so could you could you kind of talk us through that a little bit? Because I'm actually very very concerned about how Denver's going to handle crossing routes this week because Juju Smith Schuster makes a living off that kind of stuff. Yeah. So and this is this gets back to a little bit of the conversation around Simmons is. So Denver really has to decide how they want to play these. So the thing that got them in trouble last year was the corners were releasing the crossers over the middle, essentially, because they're playing zone, right? So they release the the inside plays, and people were having trouble picking them up. It was a communication issue. So either the linebackers weren't picking them up underneath or the safeties were getting caught up in a, a deep guy on the other side or something else. They were getting um, run off by the offense, and so some of the guys were running free. There was a little bit of that tonight, but um, or on Monday night, but Denver actually um, adjusted, I think, from last season, and they had the corners run with them more, but you still got to provide them some help. And so Josie Jewell missed one of those, uh, and underneath crossing route, he stepped up too much on the play action and should have just jumped back to his zone and filled in that. But then they really tried to get Simmons involved as cutting, you know, cutting the crosser essentially. And so you'd have the corner following the crosser. But the thing that the Titans did is they ran them all from tight splits. And so you, you have everybody bunched in close on the on the line. And so everybody, so you necessarily have inside yes, leverage if you're the yeah you you have to the corners have to back off so they don't get rubbed. And then also they're usually playing the outside playing with outside leverage. So because the, the receivers now have a lot more room on the outside, so yep. you can get burned if you don't play with outside leverage, but that usually means you're giving up the inside leverage, but it means you, you just have to work with your help inside. So the corners are always going to have, you know, they're going to be giving up the inside leverage typically on those type of plays and they're running all the way across the field. So, you can't really expect the corner to run with them through traffic the entire time. So 
Denver was dropping Simmons in to cut the crosser essentially. And in one play it worked really well and they almost got a sack on Ryan Tannehill. And so one of the plays they actually had Simmons, they released him and they had Simmons just take him, take uh, Brown, who's AJ Brown, who was really burning them on it. Um, no, it was, I think it was Corey Davis actually. That was, Corey Davis. Yeah, yeah. Corey Davis was and, doing it more so than there, Brown. And there was definitely a play where Corey Davis got a, got probably got away with it a little bit because he was pretty handsy. And again, that happens between corners and receivers and DBs and receivers. But yeah, he, it was savvy on his part to get open. Yeah, he swatted Justin Simmons' hand and really stumbled, like got him off balance and stumbled him. But I think it's a mix of like Denver's adjustment was to put Justin Simmons down there really in the middle of the fire. And mm-hmm. so, and some of it he played well and some of it he didn't play as well. And so, um, it's one of those where he's your star safety. You want him to be able to step up to that challenge. And if, if your plan is to use him to be the solve for that, you, you would hope it would um, pan out. And it did in some respects. There was one play that they essentially, I mean, they had Callahan and Justin Simmons on uh, Corey Davis, and he caught it anyway. And they were double covering yep. him essentially. And so it was just a, a big time play by Davis. So it was, a, it was kind of a combo of all of those factors, but, I think they picked on, and I don't want to say picked on really, but they, um, Justin Simmons was the focal point of the offense, the offense's game plan, or the, really the defense's response to the offense's game plan, if that makes sense. So the, the adjustment Denver made was really to put Justin Simmons kind of in the crosshairs against all of those. And I mean, you're working on safety against a big time receiver, and so they're going to win some of those. So hopefully Justin Simmons can learn from it and Denver can learn from it as well because they got absolutely killed on those routes. And I mean, teams already knew it from last year and they're just going to continue to watch that tape and and run that same play. I mean, the Titans just kept running it. They just kept doing it. If you look at the route tree from core, sorry, Go ahead. I think you were going to say No, I was going to say the same thing. If you look at Corey Davis's route tree, it's all crossing routes. Yeah. So they've got to figure out, figure that out. And some of it too is, I mean, one of them, it was Malik Reed not dropping back in time. And so some of it's the underneath guys getting sucked in by play action. And so they've just got to, you've got to coach that up. And I'm, I was kind of frustrated that they struggled this much with it because it was such a big problem last year. You would think they would coach that out of those guys because it was some of the same issues that we were seeing last year. So hopefully they can get that shored up for, like you said, against the Steelers because they're going to get lit up if they don't. So you touched on Josie Jewell. What'd you think of him? I was, I was expecting him to be really bad and I was wrong. Like he, I definitely have some concerns about him in pass coverage. Still definitely the, the drop you mentioned, there was also one other play where, uh, Adam Humphreys got him where basically the, the Titans came out in a three by one and they had Humphreys run what looked like a stick route, but he just dropped, he just did a curl knowing that he had the leverage on jewel a jewel. Basically jewel is going to lose no matter what, because on the backside they had, uh, I want to say it was Brown, but I, it was a receiver running. No, it was John Smith. John Smith was running a slant behind jewel. And then on the, to jewels left, you had Adam Humphreys running a curl and Denver just didn't have any help for him. So if Jewel would have played too far over to Humphreys, Smith would have had an easy crosser behind him. But instead he played right in the middle, so he just didn't he didn't cover Adam Humphreys and they just got him on an easy like it was like a six yard completion. 
Um, so like, I have some concern about that. I don't necessarily know if Josie Jewell is going to be like the long-term solution for the Broncos linebacker spot there, but at least through one game, I do think he looked as good as I dared hope probably better. He was a better run defender than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, he really he pleasantly surprised me because I wasn't a huge Jewel fan after watching him last year, in, even in the run, even in run defense, because that's mm-hmm. kind of his calling card. And I wasn't right. a huge fan of some of his run fits. I said this, I think, during the I tweeted this during the game is that it was like, particularly against the Bears, I just didn't think he looked that great against the run. But man, he looked really good on Monday night in the run game. I mean, he. He came in laying the heat on Derrick Henry a couple times, was flying around making tackles. He was sound in his run fits. I thought he did a good job rallying up to the ball. He played well downhill, um, even in pass in the passing game where he was dropping back and was you know, uh, coming up. He's obviously not uh, the most athletic guy, but he didn't look bad from like a sideline to sideline perspective. I do think coverage is obviously going to be where he struggles the most. And some of it's just his short area quickness, I think, to me. Mm-hmm. is You're going to be able to pick on him in zone coverage. There was one where he was he was there in zone coverage, but he was just not – he just wasn't quick enough to make a play. Like, he was in the right spot, but he just wasn't breaking quick enough to the ball. And so, he gets that they're going to pick on him a little bit from that regard. And so, I think if you're Denver, you probably do want Mark Barron rotating in there – since he does have a little bit more quickness in some of those situations. But I thought overall, if if Denver just ran with Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson, based on what we saw Monday night, it probably wouldn't be a too big of a drop-off from Todd Davis, which is different than what I initially thought going in. I agree. And what really impressed me with Jewell from what I've seen from the tape now is how he leverages gaps too. Like that definitely looked better than how he looked in the Packer game last year. After the Packer game last year, I was terrified to see him on the field again. Like that, that game was just, and it wasn't just the fullback play last year. It was his run fits were bad. His tackling wasn't great. His coverage was bad. Like he just, he looked really bad in the Packer game last year, but yeah, his, his run defense is just on another level. He leveraged gaps. Well, he did a good job getting off blocks. Um, so again, it's, it's one game. But hopefully it carries over because the player I saw, honestly, it's it's a similar idea to what Denver was supposed to have with Todd Davis or what we thought they were going to have with Todd Davis. Granted, if, again, if Mark Barron is healthy, having him rotate in on the passing downs or the downs you know that the team is going to pass would definitely be helpful. Uh, but if Denver has to run with Josie Jewell for a big stretch of time with Barron out, like, I'm not, I don't hate it as of right now. Yeah. I agree. Uh, before we get into Drew Locke, I got to say, Garrett Bowles didn't hold. So I think the Broncos made a mistake in not giving him a fifth-year extension. They <laughs> should have done it. They should offer him $25 million to be the left tackle of the future. He's going to be an all-pro. You know, in all seriousness, that's what, that's what I've, heard. I've, given, I've given Garrett Bowles a lot of crap on this show and on Twitter and on my airport. And it's it was all well-deserved based on what we saw on tape, right? But mm-hmm. – I thought he had a really good game on Monday night. And dare I say that Pat, um, not Pat Shermer, Mike Munchak's coaching feels like it's sinking in a little bit. So the biggest thing that we called out, and you'll know this from if you've been listening to the show or seen some of our stuff on my report, is his pass sets and the way that he was opening his hips up way too early. You know, it was almost like his second step in the pass set. 
and letting guys get around him. And that's what led him to holding so much is because they would beat him around the edge. And I, I noticed when you're watching his pass sets, there was a very conscious effort from him to plant his left foot square as he's coming off his, um, I thought his you know, initial, his first initial kick steps, the first two or three out of his stance was really strong. And his technique looked a lot more sound than I've seen it. And I've watched a lot of Garrett Bowles tape over the last, over his career. Now he did fall back into that a little bit. There was one that you called out, Joe, as a good catch. Yeah. Um, I think and, near the goal line where they got him a little bit and he opened his yeah. up early. And, and, and going over that, because I, I want to touch on that just a little bit too. I, I have two things with Bulls, and I and I, I want to say before I go into it, I agree with you. Um, I think he looked better than I again than I dared hope he was going to, and I am very optimistic that Munchak's coaching might have finally kind of like made the difference, and maybe going forward he will look better. Uh, but I also want to make a note. Uh, Joe Mahoney touched on this week one this year. This is the lowest holding penalties ever called, ever. So, like, that is worth noting, and it's worth something to look at going forward. Because if Garrett Bowles isn't getting called for holding, in part because the NFL is not calling holding, we have to keep that in mind. Um, so that's the whole thing. And, again, I'm not trying to say he's bad. I'm just letting you, like, everybody listening know that we have to be aware of that. The second yeah. thing is uh, the, the play that you, that you alluded to, uh, this, is the second, this is the second down in the red zone when that, that fourth and one sequence – that led to fourth and one where Pat Shermer called the tight end shovel pass. Uh, but on second down, the Broncos threw, uh, like they ended up running a heavy set. They had Jake Butt running the back line of the end zone. They had uh, Nick Vanette running uh, underneath and just like a, like a like basically just a flat route. And Garrett Bulls got beat by, I think it was Harold Landry. And it was the typical Bulls play where he got beat, where he got beat around the edge. He ended up wrangling and he was right in front of a ref and it didn't get called. And again, Kudos to him because Drew Locke did not get hit. And Drew Locke did have a guy. Like, it's not entirely on Bulls that that Locke didn't see Jake Butt. But I do want to say that, like, Garrett Bulls definitely did – like, he fell back into those habits on that play. So, like, we yeah. got to be aware of – like it's kind of good and bad with him. We got to be aware of it. Right. And I think this is the big thing is, like, everybody is going to – the box – like, you're going to box score scout you, – you have box score scouts and just – um most people, the way they evaluate Garrett Bowles is just if he held or not. Like, yep. if yep. even if he got it, and he could have easily gotten called for a holding call on Monday night, and I still would have said he had a good game, right? Yes. And so that's what you have to. That's what we have to continue to look at. Is well, yeah, it's great that he didn't get called for holding, but the more impressive thing to me was his pass sets looked a lot cleaner. And yes. he looked pretty good in the running game too. And so even if you the throw the flag on that play, which I wouldn't have been happy about, but I mean, he committed it. He, he held on that play. And so it's not completely out of his system. Right. But you can't just look at what did he hold or not, whether he got better or not, but he did, but it's not just because he didn't hold, if that makes sense. And I, and I think it speaks volumes about where he's at, that the Broncos are trying to run behind him. And again, I know Reisner is a big part of it, because Reisner is probably still the Broncos. Him and Graham Glasgow are the Broncos' best offensive linemen. And so, like, I understand why you would want to run behind Riser anyway. But but the fact that they like Bulls as a run blocker enough to run behind those two as much as they did does speak to Bulls' ability to get out on the move and get in front of people. Like, when he wants to do it, he's pretty good at it. 
Yeah, and I so, think that's going to be a big thing moving forward if, if he continues to develop in that area. Um, the other piece that I know we wanted to touch on before we talk about Locke, and you mentioned that fourth and one sequence, is Pat one, Pat Shermer in general. Just give me your quick hits, quick hits on Pat Shermer and what you thought about the offense. I am very, very optimistic with Pat Shermer as a play caller. I thought it made a lot of – like all of his plays, the way he was sequencing them together, it made sense to kind of dictate what the defense was doing. Uh, my biggest gripe about Pat Shermer was kind of my big concerns kind of coming into the season. There was two of them that I thought he continued to show kind of issues with in the game. The first one being like Pat Shermer loves 11 personnel. And so even though the Broncos didn't have Cortland Sutton or KJ Hamler, they still used 11 personnel, which is three receiver sets. 60% of the time, which is why you saw Deontay Spencer on the field. It's why you saw Tyree Cleveland make his first, his first catch. And again, his first catch was really good, but you're, you're asking a lot of players that are ideally bit players on your offense to play roles in part because you like the play calls. When I thought the Broncos had more talent on Monday night, I thought the Broncos had more talent on, at tight end. They had Andrew Beck. Um, and, and Shermer has shown that he knows how to dial up plays that work with those guys, like with those personnel groupings. Um, so that was a thing. And I think going into the Steelers game, that's going to be something I'm really, really watching for because the Steelers against the Giants had issues defending passing like the passing game out of 13 personnel. Um, but when Pat Shermer used 13 personnel last year, he ran the ball, I think it was like 85% of the time. And in the Monday night game, when he used 13 personnel, and he only used it a couple times, but he only ran the ball out of it. So I'd really like to see some passing plays because again, with Jake Butt and Fant. The Broncos have tight ends who can be mismatch weapons. Um, and that it is a way to keep the Steelers from sending all sorts of weird heat at you because they have to respect the fact that you could run the ball. And it, it, it puts the edge rushers on their heels a little bit. So I, I hope Shermer does that. What did you think of Pat Shermer? Yeah, just one quick comment on the 11 personnel. I think, I mean, hopefully you get KJ Hamler back this week and Cortland yeah. Sutton back this week. And so that's a huge boon to your 11 personnel grouping. And so... Um, hopefully we see that. I mean, I'm fine with them running that amount of club and personnel if you have those two guys on Same. the field. I, I agree with you. I thought he did really good. I think, um, you know, everybody will pick apart that fourth fourth and goal sequence, really that entire sequence. Um, and I just, like, I have zero energy for Monday morning quarterbacking a the offensive coordinator after the result, right? So it doesn't work. And so now we're going to pick a bar. Oh, he should have ran it when he passed it. Oh, he should have passed it when they ran I, it. I I'm, loved, I'm so tired I, of that. I loved his first two plays of that sequence. And honestly, I, I was fine with the other two as well. The first down play was out of the gun and he ran the ball. I love running out of spread sets because you're spreading the defense out. So there's less heavy, the box count. You're dictating the box count and it gives you a chance. And then on second down, he threw, he had the, uh, the, the plate of butt that we were talking about. You're in a heavy personnel grouping, and all of a sudden, butts wide open in the back end because you have players that aren't used to playing coverage having to play coverage. So, like, I thought those two plays were great. They just didn't work. Yeah, and I would argue that the fourth and one play was the same thing. It just didn't Agreed. work. I mean, it was a good. I thought it was a good play call, and I did a Twitter thread about that of just all the all the teams that have scored with that play. And we heard, I think it was through, it was, maybe it was Ryan Edwards and Benjamin Albright. I forget, but somebody mentioned or maybe it was just a tweet I saw that Denver had been kind of drilling that play in practice. And so you, you probably were going to see it and, you know, hopefully we break it back out and we see it again 
in the future because it's a great play call. It's a great one to catch the defense off guard. It just didn't work, you know. And so um, I'm ho- I hope we can move past. I mean, we're, everybody's going to always do that, I guess, no matter what happens, is micromanage all the play calls. But Pat Shermer is more of an established veteran play caller and offensive coordinator. So hopefully we're not picking him apart on literally every run and every pass decision like we were with Rich Gangarello because that that's excruciating. And to me, it's ridiculous um, because I thought he had a pretty good game. And the I, I tweeted out a, a sequence of plays that I thought was really good where Drew Locke, um, they, they flashed the flare route that it stopped the corner. It had the corner and the linebacker go after the running back on the flare and it opened things up for Tim Patrick up the seam and Locke executed it really well. He, you know, uh, opened his hips to the flare route and looked like he was going to throw it. And then he came back and, and threw to Patrick. And then two plays later, because now the defense is kind of on their heels and expecting or, you know, they're, they're a little gun shy from that. Now you come back and you throw the flare out and the linebackers slow to react. So Royce Freeman gets down there and almost scores getting the pylon. So, that was just one example to me of the good sequencing by Pat Shermer. And that's one of the things that his offense has always done well. They've always had good, solid concepts, and then they have good concepts that build on those that do the opposite thing that the first concept did. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to see how it works, particularly when you get some of your horses back out on the field like Cortland Sutton and get some speed with K.J. Hamler. I mean, you, you think about some of those plays that Deshaun Hamilton was running and you put, you know, the out and up, the, um, the big deep play that Locke missed on. I mean, and, and Hamilton was getting pretty open on some of those. Um, but you put Hamler there instead, and I think you have an even more explosive offense. And so I think overall, though, like he showed that he was willing to push the ball down the field, which is what Denver fans wanted, right? And so I think some of the onus of that, and this gets us into the our final piece, is talking about Drew Locke, is some of the onus is out on Drew Locke. He's got to get his deep ball dialed in better than it was Monday night. You can't just yeah. be chucking up prayers like that because that's not going to back the defense off. and You're not even giving your guy the chance. And I, I get the Cortland Sutton, your favorite deep target, wasn't there. But I think the, the accuracy in, from deep, is, is going to be a big key for Locke to shore up, particularly with Shermer taking these shots. I mean, they took at least five deep shots, I think, on Monday night, which was big for an offense that really didn't push the ball down the field a ton last year. And so you gave Locke the shots that, that you the people wanted to see. They just didn't make any of them happen. And there were some really good looks in there. So Yeah, the Hamilton one should have been a touchdown. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. So what, one of the, one of the big complaints, uh, like I, I, and this is like a whole overreaction, like kind of circle, uh, circus is, uh, so, and again, I don't know if you've paid attention to this at all, but like PFF was really, really critical of lock going into the game. And then basically coming out of it, there, it's kind of been like a running joke and some of like the PFF guys about how bad lock looked. Um, and then Broncos country, of course, got really, really upset. Um, I know everybody loves Steven Ruiz. Um, and Steven Ruiz basically hated Locke and has hated Locke the whole time. Um, but one of the things is, as I was watching the game, a lot of their criticisms, it's not off base. Um, when Pat Shermer was managed, like, and this is something that happened last year too, is when, when Rich Gangarello last year, when they were running quick game and when they were running stuff that you don't really have to play quarterback, you, you're, you're just, you're delivering the ball. I thought Locke did a really good job of that last year. And he did a really good job of that on Monday. 
But when there were situations where Locke had to make a read and make a decision, there were times where he was late. That happened on the Jake Butt miss. It happened on a later play. The the Jake Butt dropped. Uh, you and I were talking about this earlier today. The, the, the Jake, Butt, uh, Jake Butt drop, if you go back over the play. See that really fast, three times. I I, don't, <laughs> I, I might lose my tongue. Um, but on the, on the drop, what ended up happening is Locke had Butt probably three steps before he threw the ball. And he just waits. So by the time the ball gets to butt, the safety's right in his face. Like, I'm glad he dropped it because otherwise he'd probably be on IR again. Like, it was it was a bad decision by Locke to throw it so late. And yeah, those are the kind a- of things. I'm just like, and I get it. Like, he's a young quarterback. Um, And, and again, the expectation with Locke, everybody all offseason was saying, we're going to be patient. But now that we're in the games, people are ready to either, like, either he's good or he's bad. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just he has to continue to show growth. This is a good starting point, but definitely like there's a lot to grow from here. Yeah, and I agree with you on the the late throws too. There was one to Hamilton. No, it was Judy. Uh, to Judy on a he wasn't a corner run. He was on the he was in the opposite slot and came across the field. And this is the one that I think was almost intercepted where Locke yeah, was yeah. kind of launched it up. It probably should have been picked. But he had like if you if you look at the the um, sideline view on the all twenty two, he had Hamilton. He just yeah. needed to put it. Or sorry, I keep keep thinking Hamilton. Um, he had Judy. He just needed to throw it earlier. He needed to put a little anticipation on it. And really, if you if you kind of chuck it into the corner and only put it up where Judy can get it or it goes out of bounds, I, I thought he had a good. I mean, it was a good play dialed up by Shermer. And it was like a third and fourteen that they were trying to dig themselves out of a hole, it would have been a big-time play. And again, some of those routes, like the wheel route to Judy as well, those are tough throws. And so we're not going to sit here and say, oh, he should have nailed 100% of each of those. But Mm -hmm. I didn't – there wasn't – he didn't nail any of them. And so I think that's the big thing. And again, like I love Drew Locke, and I thought he didn't play terribly last night. Like there's people pushing it a little bit too far to one side. Um, saying he was just absolutely awful, but I mean, he did not put. There was not some of the big time throws that you would have wanted him to make that were there. Yep. It's not that the throws weren't there. It's not that the defense was overwhelming them, and he had some time in most of it too. The pass protection was iffy in a couple situations, but there was a couple times where the pass protection was there. I know one of them in particular, like he should have stepped up in the pocket and he bailed, and so. You know, those are some of the rookie things that he showed last year and some of the things that were the concerns coming out. But hopefully it was just nerves. I mean, you could tell in those first couple drives, the offense was just nervous in general. I mean, they fumbled two snaps. And based on from what I saw, it didn't. It looked like they were pretty good snaps. And, um, you know, it was just nerves or, or what it was. But, I mean, you had two drops by Judy. You had – fumbled snaps, Melvin Gordon fumbled it. You just had a lot of miscues on the offensive side. And so I expect it to be a lot smoother over the next couple of weeks. And that is why we said, you know, let's be patient with Drew Locke. But I, I, I do think, I mean, that doesn't insulate him from being called out for some of the things that we know that he needs to do to take that next step. And Monday night, he didn't do probably 90% of the things that you wanted him to do to take that next step. Agreed. And that's, and again, neither one of us are burying him. Um, this is not the Drew Lock Hater podcast. We're not trying to just tell you how much, deter- how, but the thing is, again, I truly believe more than wins and losses this year. And again, 
I'm probably going to drive everybody nuts because I'm not going to overreact to wins and losses this year because it doesn't matter. Like I, I think Kansas city is basically going to be steamrolling through most of the NFL. So no matter what happens this year, it's kind of, it's moot. The biggest thing for Denver is to see if Drew Locke is the guy for the long term, because if Drew Locke's the guy for next year, Denver can really make some moves to really kind of gain ground on him. But that means that we have to be able to have an honest conversation about Drew Locke. And yeah, I, I thought he showed some of the things I liked. Like again, like when he delivers the ball, he definitely delivers a good ball, but his decision-making needs to improve. Uh, I, I definitely have concerns about the fact he doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation. He's the see it, throw it kind of guy, and he has been. And that's something that definitely needs to get better. Um, and I think his reaction to pressure is really, really erratic right now. And that's a, definitely a concern with Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, if I could put, like, here's my kind of summary on it is the Drew Lock that we saw on Monday night is the Drew Lock that we expected coming out. And there was there's two good, there's two big things he's good at. And he was good at these on Monday night, right? So I'm giving him credit for that is he's good when you do you design his first read and you give him who to throw to and he was zipping those balls in like some of those ones to judy had some heat on him he threw a nice out route i think to patrick so he was delivering the ball on time in some of those quick game routes so he can do that then he can so he can play within structure of very tightly designed stuff and then he is almost the opposite side of the spectrum too he can play that backyard style. It's that touchdown that he saw. He's directing traffic. He's running around. He's bailing out of the pocket. He's, you know, he, he did really well in those type of situations. It's that middle ground. It's that it's the 80% of NFL quarterback that you've got to buy. Like, he's good on the margins, but you can't build a career on the margins, right? You can't just be the run around, throw it up, Josh Allen type guy, and you can't just be the Trevor Simeon who always just quickly delivers his first read but doesn't get anywhere else. So – it's that 80% in the middle that Drew Locke has to continue to get better at. And we just didn't see enough of that on Monday night. And so I hope I mean, that's what I'm going to be looking for against Pittsburgh when they play next week. Same. And with Should that, we'll leave it after we've talked. I don't even know what the, the full time is. Over an hour of Broncos content. This is our first breakdown. So um, let, break let us know. Of, a, of an actual game so week one is here it's in the books let us know uh, thoughts are you with us let's hash it out get in the comment section hit us up on twitter and let us know if there's anything else that you want us to touch on when we talk uh week two 